Amen. Well, this morning we are starting a brand new series that I am very excited about. Uh, but I have to just say uh, again how much I truly love uh, our church. Um, I love being here. I love worshiping with you. Uh, I pray that you uh, love the Lord, and I pray that you do love uh, your church. And uh, I'm just so thankful to be able to be here today and to preach this message. Um, as I shared a little bit ago, I was feeling kind of uh, under the weather this week. Um, don't worry. I mean, I know I said that, then I want to check everybody's hand. So you're probably just like, what's he? I mean, you just said, um, I'm better, okay. Um, but uh, there was a, a chance, just because it was all down in you know my throat and voice and everything was kind of eh this week. Um, so there was a chance that I wasn't sure. You know, I was like, well, if I can't speak very clearly on Sunday, um, then I won't. I mean, some of you are like, what's different? But uh, if I can't do at least a decent job on Sunday, uh, being able to get the words out, then um, I really won't be able to preach. And so I just have to say, one of the reasons I love our church is because people step up. Um, constantly. And you may never know it, you may never see it, uh, but there are people who step in and step up and do things every single day, uh, every single week, and get things done. And it's amazed me, and it will continue to amaze me, because I'm, it takes me a long time to learn things, um, that when someone can serve in a position, or do a certain ministry, or help in a certain way for years, and then the Lord relocates them, or moves them, or something changes in their situation, and there's always that thought, like, okay, well now who's going to be able to do this or that thing, or who's going to be able to. And the Lord, without fault, without failure, will continually, someone will step in. God will impress on someone's heart. They'll step in and they'll serve. And I'm always amazed at how God strengthens his church. And this week, um, I reached out to uh, Pastor Greg, our student pastor, who's really an associate pastor as well and serves in a lot of ways outside of just youth ministry. Kelsey Channel, who's our church secretary, uh, her and her family are away this morning with some family things, just having a great weekend. And so I reached out to them and said, hey, guys, I'm not going to be there, able to do a lot this week. Um, Pastor Greg stepped up and took care of men's Bible study for me on Thursday, um, and he was ready to preach this morning. So if you don't like the message this morning, uh, you could have had something different. So I guess that's take that with the Lord, like the Lord is in control. So, um, but I'm so thankful to have not only volunteers and people that serve in the church and help with junior church and nursery, uh, but to have an amazing church staff that, uh, and Pastor Greg Blount and Kelsey Channel that just step in every single week and do whatever's needed, never complain. Um, well, don't often complain. Um, and so we are truly blessed as a church. So just take a moment, if you haven't done so already, and just thank the Lord for your church. Amen. Uh, open up your Bibles this morning. We're going to go to Psalm Psalm chapter 10, and we're going to be in just the first couple of verses in just a moment. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, uh, you're going to be turning to page 411. So Psalm chapter 10, page 411, if you're using one of the Bibles provided. But we're starting a brand new series this morning, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, where we're going in the next couple of weeks. And the series, as it says on the screen, is why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? And I think that's a question that many of us can understand. Many of us have asked in some way or another. Uh, over the next four weeks, we're going to be posing different questions each Sunday morning. And the purpose of this series is to help us as followers of Christ, as those that desire to live in this world as followers of Christ, to have the proper perspective on the world around us and our role in this world. 
to have the proper perspective on the world around us and our role as followers of Christ in this world, which causes me to pause and just point out quickly, if you know Christ as your savior, your position in this world is as a follower of Christ, primarily greater than anything else. Greater than being a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or your job, whatever that may be. Greater than any other title you carry, greater than any other position you hold, follower of Christ is your primary role in this world. That's what you have been called to be by Christ, to be a follower of Christ. In Christ, through salvation, he has called you and equipped you to be his follower, which means we go out into the world as followers of Christ in all the different fields we go into, and we have to ask every single day, Lord, how can I use this job, this position, this status, this whatever for your glory and for your praise alone? Because, see, that's the two things we have to really understand. Okay, how do I see the world around me? How do I view and understand what I see around me? And then how do I understand my position, my role in this world? Next week, we'll be asking the question, why is the world the way it is? Why is the world the way it is? You could say, what's the problem? What's the problem in the world? Like, why is the world in the situation that it's in? In week three... We're going to ask the question, what is the solution? And then finally in week four, we're going to talk about the idea of what is the point of all this? Understanding that, what's the point? Like, just why? Why? What's the point of all of this? We're starting this morning again with the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And the truth is, no one can deny that bad things happen all the time in our world. I don't think anyone in this room is going to be shocked by me saying that. No one can deny that bad things happen all the time in our world. Some of them are global. Some of them are individual. Some of them are large scale as far as it affects many people. Some only affect you or maybe your family. But we can't deny that bad things happen. These bad things happen to various degrees and due to various initial causes. But we all agree that bad things just happen. So, why? Why do bad things happen to good people? This is a question that you've maybe heard posed even from those that don't know Christ, that aren't followers of Christ, and they want to ask this question in a response to all the tragedy they see around us. I want to look at an example of this question being asked even in Scripture. It's asked many different ways and many different times. We're only going to give just one example in Psalm chapter 10. Look at verse 1. Psalm chapter 10 and verse 1. The psalmist writes here, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride does persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. <coughs> Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word that we read. Father, we thank you for the honesty that we find in Scripture. The realness that we come across. We're Often we ask questions, we think things, and then we've, we're, we're kind of taught in church that you don't really ask those things out loud. 
You don't really pray those things. You don't really speak those things. You, you can think them, but don't ever say them. Because we don't want to appear to be irreverent. We're just supposed to smile and just agree. Everything's good all the time. Never any reason to ever complain about anything. And when we do, we're supposed to just keep that quiet. Father, I'm, I'm so thankful your word is not that way. That, Lord, your word is, is full of examples of individuals that have asked the tough questions. That have challenged you on things. And here we see that again. And, Lord, I know that as we broach a subject like this, we're going to unpack aspects of it, Lord. We're going to talk about it. We're not going to get exhaustive because, Lord, we could never unpack every situation or application that could come out of this topic. But I pray that as only you can, by the working of your spirit, that, that we would know that you have a purpose and a will and plan. And you desire to use us in this world. Lord, we can acknowledge that bad things happen. We can acknowledge that we don't even know really why sometimes. But I'm so thankful when we don't know why, when we don't understand, as was already said so well this morning, we can run to you. We can, we can find refuge and strength in you. And so, Father, help us to have an understanding this morning, not so much even for ourselves. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that's genuinely never really asked this question. It genuinely is just completely fine with whatever happens then, Lord, maybe there's somebody in their area of influence in their life that is really struggling right now. Maybe there's an unbeliever, somebody that doesn't know Christ, either here this morning or in one of our lives that has asked questions like this. And maybe, Lord, we can give a wisdom to them, but also, Lord, a compassion and an understanding that we've all been there. And so, Father, as only you can, I pray that you'd be glorified in the preaching and teaching of your word. Help me, Lord, not to be a distraction this morning, but that you would speak through me this is all about you. It's not about us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The psalmist asks a variation to our question. And so our question is, why do bad things happen to good people? The psalmist kind of asks a couple different aspects of this. And I kind of reworded them just a little bit, maybe more in how we would say these type of questions. We read in Psalm 10, 1 and 2, really what the psalmist is saying is, why is God distant and hidden during times of trouble? Isn't that what the psalmist says? Verse 1. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? It's as though, God, I can find you when things are good. God, when everything's great, man, you're right there. I can praise you. I can worship you. I sense your presence. But man, Lord, when times are tough and things are bad, I feel as though you're just hidden. Like you're not accessible. You're not present. You're not available. Because our emotions and our situation are telling us one thing. But as we sang about just a minute ago, Lord, we want to surrender our heart and our lives to you. That you would speak truth into us. That you would lead and guide us. But here the psalmist, as we've all felt, says, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And why are you so distant? He says, why are you distant? And you're hiding yourself from me in a difficult season. The other type of Variation of this question he asks is, why doesn't the wicked get punished, trapped in their own devices? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but maybe you've been there where you've seen someone in a situation, whether it be in the news, whether it be on a large scale, whether it be at your workplace, somebody that seemingly is not a good person. 
They're just a wicked person. They're mean, they're angry, they're selfish, they're prideful, they're rude. And yet they get promotion after promotion after promotion. Seemingly, they're doing all these things and yet they're benefiting from these things. They're actually doing well. Or you see people that are involved in situations and and taking advantage of people and you just sit back and you think, Lord, why don't you let them get caught up in their own situation? They're taking advantage of these people. Lord, why don't they get taken advantage of? Now, I know we wouldn't say that out loud in church a lot of times because that doesn't sound very much like what Jesus would say. But if we're being real this morning, which is the whole point of the series is to get us real, we've all thought that very thing. If somebody on an icy road, one of those people that drive one of those big trucks, and they think because it's four-wheel drive, they can just drive however they want. And you're going 45 being a good driver. Well, I drive a minivan, so I'm trying to go 45, okay? Unless you're like Pastor Keith who drives his minivan like it is a four-wheel drive vehicle, which is fine. And you're going along, and then they're just right on top of you. And this is two weeks with driving illustrations, not planned, but it just happens. That truck's right behind you, and you're just like this, you know? And you drive in the winter, you feel like you're like in the Millennium Falcon because all the snow's coming at you, and it's like you're going like light speed, right? It's just like flying down the road. And you're trying not to kill yourself, and everyone in your vehicle, and this guy's like behind you, right? And then he flies around you, right? Let's be real for a moment. Don't amen. Don't raise a hand. Some of us, I'll be the one that says this is me. Some of us have thought there's a part of you that hopes they end up in the ditch down the road. Now you're like, I can't believe the pastor just said that because I told you a minute ago, we're being real this morning. This is real preaching. We ain't sugarcoating nothing today. What are we really saying when we say things like that? Man, you know what? I just, I just, why don't they ever get a ticket? I don't think, and you know what? I hope no one gets hurt, but just, Lord, could you just put him in the ditch for a few minutes? Just, I mean, don't, I want no one to die or get hurt or injured, but just, can you just, what you're doing, what Psalms 10 is saying. Isn't that really what he's saying? Lord, these people that are taking advantage and persecuting the poor, let them get caught up in their own devices and the things they've imagined. Let them get trapped in those things. It's because we're asking this question, Lord, why do you let the wicked prosper, but the good people have to suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? When we go through difficult times, maybe inflicted by someone else, the part we don't want to acknowledge is it could also be our own choices. We said last week, what we sow, we reap. And some of us have sowed decisions that have reaped negative consequences. And we don't like to acknowledge that. We love it a lot more when it's somebody else. But when we go through difficult times, maybe inflicted by someone else or our own choices or seemingly of God's doing, it seems like God is the one that's really making this bad stuff happen in our world. And again, those that don't know Christ, this is one of the greatest tools in their tool belt to try to say, your God is so loving and yet look at all the tragedy. Why does God allow those things if he's so loving and gracious? See, look how bad your God really is. As we go through all these different seasons in our lives, we can feel this same sense of hurt and confused anger with God that our psalmist that we read this morning feels. So I want to dive in and see how we can discover an answer to our question this morning. Why do 
bad things happen to good people. Again, we're not going to exhaustively apply every you know, application to this, but I do want to give you just a basic idea of how we might be able to approach this question or questions like this. The first thing we have to acknowledge is that it reveals, in the asking of the question, it reveals the heart of the person asking the question. There's a assumption being made here. There's a, maybe a presumption is the better word here. There's, there's this idea behind the question we have to kind of unpack a little bit. And the idea is this. I believe this question shows us the heart or the idea on how our life should be. When we ask questions like this, we are revealing our heart and our mind on how our lives should be. Basically, we are saying, if I am good, nothing bad should ever happen to me. That's kind of really the the inverse of this question, isn't it? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, then I'm thinking and I'm assuming to myself, if I am good, then nothing bad should happen. Because if I am good, no bad. If I'm a good person who does good things, then there should never really be anything bad that happens to me because I am good. This is the I deserve it mentality, really, when you boil it down. I think because I haven't done anything that would classify me as, quote, a bad person, then I deserve only good things. Some even modern preachers feed this mindset as well, telling their followers that God wants them to be healthy, wealthy, and successful all the time. That if you just have enough faith, now they won't say be good enough, they'll say have enough faith. Be basically a good enough Christian. Pray good enough prayers. Be faithful enough in your giving. And they'll say it to you with a really nice suit on and a lot of smiles. Usually a lot of bling coming from the stage too. And they'll usually tell you about how then they'll they'll move into this beautiful story about how God bought them a jet or a car or a house. And how everything's great and glorious and good. And you too can have it. For 1995. Wait, no, that's the other commercial. Sorry, that's the other commercial. If you just call this number and pray this prayer, you'll be fine. See, we think this, and this is, again, it feeds on something in us. This feeds on your pride. You deserve good things. You're a good person. You're not like them, those bad people. And since you're really a good person, you deserve really good things. And if you don't get good things, then why is that? the case. And whose fault is that? Because it's not your fault. It's obviously someone else's or God's fault. So again, we see this idea all throughout, even in modern churches. I'm going to cough probably in a moment. I'm going to try to cover the microphone, but I'm apologizing again if it's really loud. All right. I'm going to try to hold it in. Nope. DJ, we got to get like a, like a cough button like they use on the radio. That would be, that'd be great. I want to dive our minds into scripture, though. When we hear this idea that I deserve good things and I'm a good person and all of that, I want to go into scripture. And I want to pose a question here, and it helps us to reflect on scripture when we hear teaching like this. That because you're a good person, God only wants good, is only going to give you good all the time. And if there's bad, it's obviously either you're doing something wrong, which can or may or may not be the case, or it's someone else's fault or God is just mad at you. So what does scripture reveal to us? Because I believe in scripture we discover that there is a difference between God bringing good things into our life, which he does at times. Okay, so there's a difference here. There's a difference between God bringing good things into our life, which he does at times, 
and God always working good in all things in our life. It's a very big difference there. And if you're taking notes, you can jot it down. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. For God works, right? God works all things to good. We think about that and we go, okay, that means all. It doesn't say, I'm going to bring only good things into your life that I'm going to work for good. He says, I'm going to work all things for good. I'm going to be working in all things. All things. And the result will be good. God in his providence is working in all things, even the things that we call bad, to make us more like Jesus, which is the ultimate good our lives could become as followers of Christ. Romans chapter 8, we're going to read a few more verses from Romans in just a moment, but if you study it out, they're going to find out that in Romans 8, it actually says the result of that good, like what is the good that he's working? It's to make you more like Jesus so that people may glorify God. He's to make you more like Jesus. And could you really think of a better good your life could be than to be like Jesus? I heard Adrian Rogers say it this way. If you ever want to check your spirituality and check your Christian walk, you ever want to give a little temperature check to how well you're doing as a follower of Christ, simple question every day you can ask yourself. Today, was I more like Jesus than yesterday? That's a tough question to ask, isn't it? You get to the end of your day and you look at your day. Today, was I more like Jesus than yesterday? And the answer is either, well, I feel as though I grew in Christ. I feel as though I spent time worshiping him. I don't, I don't think we'll ever get to the point of going, yeah, I'm good. But I think the point and the reason for the question is to evaluate. It's not about how successful you are, how much money you have, how happy you make other people. Those things are fine. It's great to make people happy. It's great to impact joy and kindness on people. But the ultimate goal of your life is to be like Christ. And so here, what is the good that God is working in all things, good things and bad things that come into our lives? The good is to be like Jesus. Now, I used a word there. I said God in his providence. Now, that word is used a lot in Christian circles. It's thrown around church quite a bit. But tonight, actually, and I want to let you know this, we're going to be unpacking that word in great detail. Um, it's amazing to me how God orchestrates things. And from what Renee shared this morning to where we are this morning, obviously, but then also where we're going tonight, uh, I really want to invite you back tonight because we're going to study an in-depth look at what does it mean that God has providence, that God is working in all of this. And we're going to unpack that tonight. For this morning's sake, we need to know that he is working in all things the good things in our lives, and the bad things that do come into our lives. So the heart of the question is simple. If I live as a good person, I should only expect good things. Well, we see in Scripture that's not necessarily from what God says will happen in our lives, that bad things come and God can work in those things as well. But the other part of the question we have to unpack is, who is good? Why do bad things happen to good people? That's a great question. So who are these good people that keep having bad things happen to them? Who are these poor, innocent, good people who just are victimized by bad things? I mean, our heart breaks for those good people, so who are they? I mean, how do we define them? Who's good? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. The Bible tells us. We have to realize that how we define good people and how God defines good people are not the same. How God defines good people and how we define good people are not the same. 
Jesus made a powerful comment about this idea in Matthew chapter 19. Turn there with me quickly. Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to look at verse 17. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can just turn to page 687. So if you're using a Bible provided, you can turn to page 687. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 17. So who is good? Verse 17 of Matthew 19. And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? Why are you calling me good? This is Jesus speaking here. There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou will enter into life, keep the commandments. Now this is the beginning of a very popular encounter that someone had with Jesus. This is the encounter with with the rich young ruler. And we're not going to dive into the whole text. We're not going to look at the story. We've, some of you are very familiar with it, but I just have to note the beginning of this moment here. Jesus addresses what this young man or this man says to him in verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life. Good master, what good thing do I have to do to get to heaven? That's really what he's asking. And Jesus' response is, whoa, 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 why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. Now, what's the answer to the second part of the question? How does he get into heaven? Well, go ahead and keep the commandments. Now, we know, again, if you study the whole story, that's going to be unpacked even greater here. But this man came with the assumption, most likely, that he was good. He was good and he even calls Jesus good. Now, we know that Jesus is God and therefore Jesus is good. But the point of the question wasn't to question Jesus's own divinity. It was to draw out of this rich young ruler. Do you really believe that I am God? Do you really believe that I am God and that therefore I am good? Jesus said there is only one who is good and that is God. This agrees with Paul. And what Paul wrote later in the book of Romans, Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So according to Jesus, how many good people in the world? According to Paul, how many good people in the world? It's only one that is good, meaning perfect, sinless, flawless, and that is God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. R.C. Sproul said it this way, and I believe he said it very well. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? He goes on to say, that only happened once, and he volunteered. That only happened once, and, and he volunteered, meaning Jesus, when he went to the cross. You see, we have a flaw in this question. Not only is the flaw in that we believe that if we are so-called good, we should only have good in our lives, and therefore anything bad is wrong. We also have a flaw that we believe that we are good. The reality is there is no one innocent or good naturally. We are all, at our core, without Christ, bad people who just do various degrees of bad things to one another. Now the question remains, and it's one worth addressing, why do bad things happen at all? Let's remove the good part. Let's just remove that. Why do bad things happen at all then? 
Well, we're going to unpack that more next week when we talk about why is the world the way it is. But the idea here is more or less, and what Scripture tells us is that, yes, bad things will happen. God is not the author of evil. However, we do live in a fallen world with bad people who do bad things. So the heart of the question is still the same. Man, I, I, I just can't struggle with that. People all over the world are struggling with that idea. Okay, that's, I, I get what you're saying. But then why does God even allow bad things, period? Why does God allow bad things at all? And we can live there and we can dwell there. But the reality is, I think we need to step back and take a different perspective at this. It's not just the dealing with, okay, why do bad things happen? Because we know that's true. Uh, really, what we should be asking then is, because we are bad people who do bad things and sin against one another and sin in many ways against one another and hurt each other with our words and our actions, because we've broken God's law and fallen away from his perfection because we are bad and do bad things and make bad decisions, the shocking question isn't, why do bad things happen to good people? It's, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do any good things actually happen in our world? So why do good things happen to bad people? Well, the first thing I want to take you to is you're already in Matthew. Go back to chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. The reality is, why do good things happen to bad people? Because God is gracious. Because God is gracious. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. The Bible says this, and Jesus speaking here, that you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. It's kind of a popular quote scripture of Scripture. People will quote this often. But what is Jesus really saying here? This takes place in something we call the Sermon on the Mount. So this is during one of the greatest sermons ever preached. It's not the greatest sermon ever preached. So when you read Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, all the way through the end of chapter 7, and again, if you're taking notes, you can jot down those two references, Matthew 5, 1 and Matthew 7, 29. You're going to find out that's, that's the Sermon on the Mount. So many people think the Sermon on the Mount is just Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes or some of those things. It actually goes through the course of those three chapters. Imagine sitting in a sermon for that preaching. And Jesus is unpacking all of this truth. And, and he gets to this point. He's talking about this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself and being gracious and loving your enemies. He starts off in verse 43. You have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. That's not in the Bible. That's how we want to live today sometimes, I think. We want to live in a way that, okay, I love my neighbor, but I don't like that person. So I'm going to pick and choose who I want to love. Jesus is saying, you've heard it said. That means it was taught. It wasn't biblical, but it was taught. He says in verse 44, but I say unto you, love your enemies Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which des despitefully use you and persecute you. Quick question. Are those things good things or bad things? To be despitefully used, good or bad? 
You can answer out loud. Okay? To be persecuted, good or bad. To curse you, good or bad. So he's saying, as all these bad things are happening to you, guess what you can do as a follower of Christ? You can actually love them. You can actually be a blessing to them. You can be an encouragement to them. And then he goes on to say in verse 45, so we put everything in context. Why do we bless our enemies? Why do we try to love our enemies? Verse 45, that you may be the children of your father, which is in heaven. See, the idea here is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks to the idea of loving our enemies and encourages the listeners to see the example for uh, loving our enemies that we see in God the Father. This phrase here in verse 45, that you may be children of your father, is not necessarily referring to just to the idea of relationship, meaning when we're saved, we're sons and daughters of God. It actually is referring to modeling our lives after. That, that a son would be like the father. And we see this to be true in our own lives, don't we? If you've ever raised children, if you have a habit of doing something a certain way, your children will pick up on that, good or bad. Okay? Um, I, I mean... I could give you a lot of examples, okay? I'm just right now, the spirit was like, not that one, John. Not that one, John. Nope, not that one, okay? But if you get, re- if you get upset about something, right, and you react, and then you watch your kids down the road, maybe a couple years down the road, something similar happens to them, and they react the same way, and you correct them, and the spirit of God, as only he can, says, wow, that's pretty hypocritical. You should not yell at her like that. You should not get upset when somebody does this. And your child, even at six or seven, is probably thinking, huh, you're forgetting what you did last week? Like, I heard you on the phone with grandma. Like, I know what she was saying. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, listen, I'm not, and I love this about Jesus. He doesn't just say, go do this, and I'm not going to model it for you. Don't just live this and not expect a model in Christ. He says, no, no, no. Watch your father. See how your father loves his enemies. Do that. Another way you could say this phrase is, then you'll be acting like your father in heaven. So how does God love his enemies? Well, we know, big picture, scripture, he died for them. He died on the cross for them. Romans says that we were all enemies of God. That we were wicked and fallen away. And yet he died for us in spite of our sin. While we were still in our sin, he died for us because he loves us that much. But in this specific passage, what do we see here as this example of love for them? So how does God love his enemies in this passage? We could see if you think of it, two examples. One author noted it this way. I'm just going to read this quote and I love the way that they put it together. He causes his son, by the way, that's amazing. He causes his son, not S-O-N, S-U-N. You guys been enjoying this beautiful sunshine this weekend? It was amazing. It's going to be like 30 on Wednesday, but I don't even care because it was like 70 yesterday. I was working out in the yard with shorts on. It was a beautiful day. Do you know why you're enjoying that sun? Because he rose it again. That's his son that he rose goes on to say this, this author, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In that agrarian society, good weather was all important. 
There are righteous farmers who would be considered God's friends, meaning they were followers of him and worshipped him. And unrighteous farmers, those who would be considered God's enemies. Regardless of the farmer's disposition toward God, God gives sunshine and rain to all the farmers in equal portion. That's amazing. That's, that's grace. That's love. So Jesus is saying here, listen, when they're persecuting you and they're, they're your enemies and they're cursing you, I want you to just show love to them. It doesn't mean you agree with what they're doing. It doesn't mean you let it go. It doesn't mean that you overlook a hurt. It means, no, no, just show them common grace. Just be gracious to them. Just be loving to them. Just bless them in a simple way. What does that rain and that sun do? It provides for the needs of that person. And so maybe we provide a need. The reality is God allows good things, blessed moments into the lives of sinful people so that we might recognize his grace, so that we may be drawn into a closer relationship with him, either for the first time in salvation or continually as followers of Christ. Man, there are some bad things that happen in this world, but there are some great things that happen too, aren't there? Man, I think sometimes we can get hung up on this and we forget, but God is so gracious that we as even fallen people would experience the blessings of this life. Family, new birth, memories of spending time on a beautiful weekend like this, playing in the yard with your kids, conversations, and even, yes, tears and love and joy. Now, I've shared it before, but it's worth saying again, every funeral that I've been blessed to do, where the family will stand and share about memories of that person. And usually, if it's somebody older, somebody will stand and share a memory. They never talk about the kind of car they drove. They never talk about how big the house is. They never talk about how much money the person had. It's always things like, I just loved going over to so-and-so's house when I was a kid and making cookies. I used to love going over and just spending time with family, playing with cousins and doing this. It's always more than we think it really is. We think it's this silly stuff called finances and possessions. Your life is wrapped up not in stuff, but in a person, Jesus Christ. And let him work through you to make those kind of impacts on people's lives. Because our time is short, the Bible says. You see, God is gracious. And so why do good things happen to bad people? Because he chooses to let them happen to us. God also not only is gracious, but God enjoys blessing his children God enjoys blessing his children. That was a great place to say amen. So we're going to pause. I'm going to take a drink of water. And in case you didn't hear me, one of the reasons that we experience good things is because God loves to bless his children. Okay, you're getting there a little bit. Okay. When you understand this reality that God delights in us when we delight in him. Some of us are carrying some weight right now, and you think you got to be perfect, you got to perform, it's always about this and that. No, no, stop all that. Just pause for a moment and say, no, when I delight in him, he is delighting in me. Like, think about that. When you open his word and just delight in him and his blessings, he is actually delighting in you in that moment. He's not going, okay, yeah, 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 but what about this problem? Yeah, yeah, what about this thing over here? Oh, that's great, but what about this? That's not God. Now, when we're trying to go to his word and go, no, God, I'm ignoring that unrepentant sin. He's going to get on us. Praise God he does because he's a loving heavenly father who brings correction. Because he knows what that's going to do in our lives if it's left unrepentant. 
But when I'm delighting in him and I'm still not perfect, I'm obviously never going to be, but I'm, I'm delighting in him. I'm worshiping him. He's not going, can we get through this so I can correct you? No, he's taking joy in you. He's delighting in you. Psalm 147, 11. Psalm 147, 11 says this. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Those who hope in his steadfast love. God takes pleasure in you. He's rejoicing in you. He loves delighting in you as you delight in him. And one of the ways he enjoys delighting in you is to bless you. I'm not talking about stuff. Again, don't think so silly. Don't think so surface. It's deeper than that. It could be stuff or it could be that abiding peace that he just allows to rule and reign in your heart and mind. He's delighting in you. He's overjoyed with you. And he's allowing you to experience that delight as he's blessing you and providing for you in all that you need. As followers of Christ, our lives will not be exempt from bad things, as we noted. However, as his sons and daughters, when the blessings come, we can boast in his goodness like no one else. A follower of Christ will experience the birth of a child differently than an unbeliever. Both are very joyful. Both are great blessings. But man, a follower of Christ can say, God, I praise you for this. It's just everything is different when you know Christ. The sunshine, as I just alluded to, is different when you know Christ. It's not just like, oh, it's a great weekend. Uh, here comes Monday. You know, that whole mindset. No, it's, God, man, you, you formed that sun with your very words. You spoke that into existence, and it warms me. It's beautiful to look at. It gives beauty to your creation, and you didn't have to do any of that. You know, beauty is not intrinsic for worth and value, meaning he could have made it beneficial to us and not beautiful to our eyes. He could have made it just functional. He could have made creation just functional, but he gave us color and vibrancy and beauty because he is a God that delights in us and he wants us to delight in him and in all that we see around us. The good and the bad come to everyone in this world. This message is in no way to downplay or minimize a hurt that you've experienced. We understand it's real. So how do we respond in those seasons of hurt and bad things? The reality is our responses can be a testimony to others of where we have placed our trust. When bad things come, as they come into every house, every home, every life, we are grieved and brokenhearted, but not overwhelmed because we know our God has predestined us to be like Christ and ultimately glorified one day in Christ because he works all things for good. When blessings come, we do not boast in ourselves, but in the wonderful, gracious gifts of God who delights in us as a father over his children. I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads right there where you are. So we're going to have a time of invitation that you would respond to what God is doing. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your grace and love in our lives. Lord, we thank you for this morning, for an opportunity to come together, Lord, as the body of Christ. And I know there are people in this room right now that still have hurts, still don't feel in their flesh satisfied because, Lord, they, they still have questions. And, Lord, that's, that's okay. I pray that this morning as we have a time of invitation, Lord, 
that if there's somebody here that's battling with a the hurt, they're just struggling with the, the why, I pray that they would come and bend a knee at this altar and say, Lord, I, I still don't get it. I still don't understand. I don't like it. Lord, my heart breaks for this. But I know you are good. I know you are loving. And I want to believe that you are working, as your word says you are, all things to good, that I might be more like Christ. So in my brokenness and in my hurts, help me to not necessarily understand why, but to understand the who that is working in this season. So, Father, maybe there's somebody here today that would come forward and bend a knee in that way. Lord, maybe there's somebody here today that would come forward and bend a knee and say, Lord, thank you for being good to us. Thank you for blessing us. Even though we know that in and of ourselves, we're not worthy of it. Thank you for loving us and dying on the cross for us that we might know you as Savior. But thank you, Lord, also for just your grace and your love. Thank you for your blessings. May we rejoice in them, focus on them, and be thankful for them. Not just the bad things, but the good things as well. As a Father, in all these things, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified. Work as only you can. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead and convict and guide as you see fit. If there's somebody here that needs to know Christ, I pray that they would come to make that decision, trusting in you, Lord, not in themselves, for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible says that if we will come to you, you will forgive us of our sins. We will have eternal life with you in heaven. But if we refuse that gift of salvation, if we refuse your gospel, and we try to answer for our own sin, the Bible says that when we leave this world, we'll be judged and cast into a place called hell. Not because you are not loving you were loving enough to give us the opportunity, the chance to know Christ, but because we made a choice to deny you and pay for our own sin. So, Father, I pray that you would allow us before it's everlasting too late to make the decision to trust Christ this morning. In all these things, Father, may you be glorified. Give us your wisdom, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we are led in a song of invitation? Would you come and pray? If you have a hurt you're dealing with, would you come and pray and say, Lord, I don't get the why, but I want to trust the who. Maybe you want to come and say, Lord, thank you for your many blessings. I'm going to praise you for that. Let's respond to what God is doing this morning, whether they're in your seats or here at the altar. What are we saying?